As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a More Than Just Podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 5, Episode 2. My name is Timothy. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kulite in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Alrighty. So, as usual, we'll start with some fact check. We were talking about the Old Man uh, TV show with Jeff Bridges that is on Disney Plus in Canada. I think I said Netflix last week, and I think you said it was on Hulu, Jaime? I think it is an FX show, which means it comes out on Hulu. Here in the US. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And as I've written it down here, Hulu FX's The Bear is also on Disney Plus in Canada. So, but it's on Hulu in the United States of America. And you guys had it like months before us, right? Um, I don't know about the old man, but The Bear, yeah, we had it for a while uh, here. So, in one of those, you know, the internet has made distribution instantaneous and cheap. So, let's play games with what premieres where in which country. Uh, as they wants to do. Ooh. Yeah, because I think the bear just ended here about, you know, maybe um, sometime sometime in, in August, I think, August, maybe September. wasn't that long ago. And it's only eight episodes, seven episodes long, so it couldn't have been that long. And it was out coming out every week. But yeah, two good shows. Check them out on your choice of network. <laughs> Anyway, and you can binge them both now, which is nice. I think that's what happened with the bears. I, I had missed the bear, or sorry, not the bear, the old man. I had missed the old man, and I was able to watch all the episodes at once. I mean, it was one of those ones where, yeah, that's a bit, that's a get yourself a bag of popcorn and binge that guy. All righty. So we'll move on to headlines, and Jonathan's up first, I think. Yeah, uh, just one bit for me this week. So <laughs> this one, um, it's funny. It had been rumored for a long time that this might happen. So. We got news this week that there's going to be a sequel to the 2005 cinematic tragedy called Constantine, which is, of course, based on the John Constantine character from DC slash Vertigo Comics. Uh, the original came out 17 years ago, starring Keanu Reeves, 
it was one of who, who doesn't age by the he just doesn't age right? no true but it was truly one of the weirdest decisions i remember having these discussions amongst the comic community when it when he was cast when it was coming and everyone was like really john constantine john constantine is supposed to be you know a british b very uh lived in he's 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 a good looking guy and he's charming but he's supposed to be very much more sort of rough around the edges and keanu at that point was a very clean cut person uh it's not a great movie i don't know if either of you've seen it but it's it's not good uh, objectively and yet they've announced that they're going to bring back the whole gang so uh the screenplay is going to be written by akiva goldsman who of course has done lots of star trek work and uh it's going to be produced alongside a guy named J.J. Abrams. So they're clearly taking a swing, but um, I, I but is, is Jenna Coleman going to be in it too or not? Or that's no, a different I think they're keep, keeping those. Well, yeah, the Johanna Car- Constantine character is a different. Uh, so in the comic book version of that Sandman story, which we have seen on Netflix, that part is played by John Constantine. They have just done it differently in the television version for a couple of reasons. One, so they don't get mucked up in DC continuity. And two, uh, because it was decisively um, white, cisgen, male uh, comic book series written in the 1980s. And so they've gone through and they've added more color and people of color. They've added more women. And that was one of the circumstances I think the most sad. Okay. So. Hmm. And well, the other thing about. Canaries that I always thought was weird at the time he was casting Constantine. He, it was like right smack in the middle of the Matrix movies, right? Like it wasn't that uh, far off. Yeah, it was just, just somewhere near the end of that. Yeah, because I can't remember when those finished mm-hmm. up. But. Yeah, he was Neo at that point in everybody's mind. But I mean, maybe he was a hot property and studios just had to have the name and whatever. That maybe why they cast him. I, I can only assume that that is what they were thinking at the time. I just don't understand. You know, I don't know, other than the people who are involved in this, like, you know, uh, Abrams and him, and I, I don't know who's asking for this. I I don't know if you guys watched much of the DC Legends of Tomorrow uh, that had uh, Constantine on it, John Constantine, in that version, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on that actor's name, I don't know if either of you remember his name, I can look it up, but... Um, he's amazing. He's so good, and he's exactly what I pictured. Uh, John Constantine actually being I, I picture John Constantine being a mix of like 1980s Tom Waits and Sting hmm. uh, I'm just looking hmm. here now okay. I didn't watch that series that was oh, uh, oh Matt, it was great. Ryan. Matt Ryan yeah uh, so Matt Ryan it was only it was a short-lived series 13 episodes on TV that series was good but it didn't really push the envelope very hard it, it was trying to be like a primetime TV show on network TV and so it never really kind of went as far as probably a Constantine show ought to. They gave him a little bit more edge when they took him over to the CW and they revived uh, the Matt Ryan incarnation and, and had him be part of the Legends of Tomorrow. He had lots of good stuff in there and was a little more sort of true to the character from the books. Although, again, the character from the books is just a really complex character, really, really uh, shady in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I, like I say, that's when I picture Constantine. Matt Ryan will be my go-to, you know, for the time being, unless somebody else comes in and steals that role. He did a bang-up job of playing the part. Hmm. Cool. 
Well, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, like, it was interesting how... Did, have, you, have you watched The Matrix Revolution? What's the new one called? Yeah, no, I haven't seen that. Resurrections. <clears throat> have you seen it, Jaime? I did, yeah. I saw it during uh, December of 21, because that was the <laughs> final... Well, I, the reason I know this is because that was the final movie in the HBO Warner Brothers. We're going to show all of our first-run feature films. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you got an advanced view, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, you know, that entire year, it, just about every month, they had one of their, their big ticket movies. And that was the that was the big reason to get HBO Max during 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Well, without giving away too much, he, you know, the, the Neo character or the or the Anderson, um, Mr. Anderson character is, um, he's the senior game designer who, who wrote a game called The Matrix, mm. is how that story starts, right? So, and that made sense because then you could sort of shove, Keanu Reeves into the role and he's a little bit wrinkly and you know he's been he's been doing it for 10 years or something like that as a franchise kind of thing so that's how they kind of explain the older guy right you know and but even Carrie Ann Moss was what you know she had a teenage kid and all that kind of stuff so they they kind of worked in their age differences between the original show and this one um you know uh this I mean in terms to, to kind of explain the time lapse right so I don't know Constantine's kind of a weird character, but I mean, I mean, as somebody coming to Constantine from like no background whatsoever, like all I remember from the Constantine movie was the scene with the bathtub and, you know, he fills the bathtub and he gets into the bathtub and it's like, a, you know, a, leave an eight year old boy alone in the bathroom for, uh, you know, 10 minutes and the entire place is covered in water. That's what I remember from the movie. Yeah, right? so yeah. That was pretty much it. Yeah. I'd also throw in uh, Tilda Swinton as, uh, the angel. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, the angel um, that was sort of uh, antagonizing him. Okay. No, you don't remember this. Also, also, as soon as you say Tilda Swinton, I, th- I was thinking of Doctor Strange and. Um, yeah, yeah, she's Gabriel. She's yeah, she's Gabriel. Yeah. Again, uh, bottom line on that story is I don't know who this is for, and I don't know why they're doing this, and I and I don't know who's going to see this. So, best of well, luck to them all. Not for you, obviously. So, yeah, it's not for the forty or forty-year-old. Yeah, older forty-year-older audience. It's for the twenty-somethings, right? Yeah, I, which is again strange because you'd think it's our generations that would be more like, oh, Keanu. But you know, this is maybe this is just a sign. Yeah, maybe this is just a sign of the Keanu sense that um, that everybody's just loved him so much since the sort of John Wick, Wick sort of revived his career and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a no. it's a Warner Brothers production though, right? So that means that uh, you know, no matter what it does in the theaters, it, it plays real good on HBO Max. So <laughs> it's kind of the new the new scheme for all of these things, right? Got to got to fill up that uh, content library. Roger Ebert added the Constantine movie to his list of most hated films of 2005. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. Well, speaking of filling up the content library, so apparently the fine people at Apple TV Plus have picked up not one, but two seasons of the untitled Vince Gilligan project. Uh, Vince Gilligan being the creator of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and it will bring back at least the actress, Rhea Seahorn, who did play Kim Wexler. It's not necessarily a Kim Wexler show, uh, but there's there's no no details other than that for now. But uh, exciting. For, for Apple TV Plus, that's a that's a good creator to have, good actress to have starring in a show. I want her to win, and I want her to win an Emmy award so bad. I it is so we didn't really talk about the Emmys last week. The Emmys 
obviously happened in our time last week. Uh, that show, and, and I, I admit I have not watched the last season, so please don't spoil anything for me, but I have really been a fan of that show. I just haven't made time to watch the last little bit, but she's fantastic. And that show got nominated for 46 Emmy Awards over its seasons and won zero. I just don't even know how to wrap my head around that. Like, obviously, it was up against some steep competition. There's been some great shows like Succession and Game of Thrones and all those other things that happened during the stretch. But it seems baffling considering how good, how well written, how well acted, how well uh, everything has been about that show that they won zero awards is I just can't wrap my head around that. So I, I'm I'm rooting for her. I hope I hope she has another killer show, and I hope she wins some stuff. She's great. How did Breaking Bad do in the Emmy run during its time? Um, I'll double check. I'm I know that um, uh, Brian Cranston won for Best Actor multiple times, mm-hmm. but I don't okay, know I how the, he did. Um, I have the I have the IMDb app right here pulled up real quick. Yeah, it'll be interesting or, to see what the real it. facts are because. I feel like it was a show that didn't win much early on. And then when it really caught everybody's passion by like well, the second or third season, it like it started winning everything was, every year. Yeah. Cause Brian Cranston, I think caught people's eye really early. So he won uh, outstanding lead actor, 2009, 2010 and 2014. And Aaron Paul won oh, 16 supporting 2010, 12 and 14. And then it won, uh, Outstanding drama. Outstanding drama. How many times? Yeah, it, One, two, three. Six, 16 Emmys, it says here, according to the, to the IMDb. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was more backloaded. Like, I knew season five won a lot. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize it started pretty pretty consistently early then. Okay. Yeah. Outstanding writing. Outstanding, uh, outstanding supporting actor. Outstanding direction. Yeah. So, it, it definitely did get a lot more of the love. But I don't think there was like a, I mean, maybe it's just, as you say, maybe it's just the field of competition, but um, it seems shocking that that series didn't do better as far as getting the, the awards that I think it was you know, fairly due. I mean, that was a great show. Was a great show. Well, even the guy who plays Howard Hamlin, like, you, you know, you love to hate that guy. He's such a, you know, yeah. it's an interesting character. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the main part of the show. We're going to talk about various shows this week again, like we did last week, right? Um, so which one do we want to dive into? Well, I guess we'll start with Lower Deck since it's a Star Star Trek, uh, week. I think that's it, yeah. That's the whole purpose of this show. Um, this week was an episode, season three, episode five. It was called Reflections. Um, sort of an Alice in Wonderland mirror, mirror on the wall kind of episode. Um, Rutherford gets, you know, a glitch in his, his headgear. Tendy, um, clears the cash on his buffer and, uh, he, uh, uncovers a secret, uh, an alternate identity of himself, right? Mm. And uh, and mayhem ensues, and and that's sort of the A story, and uh, I guess where the title comes from, and uh, it's sort of a like uh, uh, he even ends up in the sort of the construct that they have from the Matrix with the white the white area where the two two uh, beings are talking to each other trying to solve the problem, and uh, in the B plot. Beckett Mariner and Boiler get sent down to the planet to like a con- like star like a convention, and they're I guess they're recruiting sent down with a booth to recruit uh, you know people for Star Trek or so for the Starfleet, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and so and of course you know the the order from um, um, Ransom to Beckett Mariner is to not leave the booth, so she's like you know challenged by all kinds of people, and and you know. 
Boimler's trying to keep her in the in the booth. And of course, you know, there lots of, lots of funny jokes, and and you know, again, we talked about uh, you know the the next next tent over to them is a is a um, an archaeologist. I forget what they call her space archaeologist or something like that. They're the Independent Archaeologists Guild. Independence important. Yeah, independent, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, there's like you know she's accusing her of being only interested in going and removing artifacts from the museum that's just conveniently behind the booth, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So there's kind of an interesting, interesting thing there. So, what do you guys think of the the show? I think it was pretty interesting as a um, both a one-off show, right? It it dives into a character, but it also sets up things for the next time related to I, I forget the name of the like scientist archaeologist who's kind of on the shady side the, the gray area oh, yeah, right. thing. and it also continues part of the character's arc because we had seen so i was going to ask maybe my big question is this episode makes it seem more strongly this was a starfleet plot or someone within starfleet of some sort but i could have sworn we saw a flash that of you know memory from um, Rutherford that made it seem like it was potentially a Romulan plot. So that's that's one where I wonder did I misremember that or are they intentionally sort of uh, you know ducking and weaving to try to keep us guessing? Do you, do you all remember anything to confirm or deny my memory here? I don't remember the that it was the Romulans, but I but I think because they mentioned that in this episode that Rutherford younger self or pre-accident uh was doing illegal racing on the edge of the neutral zone i think that there's a a very high probability that there was something else up there with the romulans and the the romulans actually do appear in his sort of uh matrix-esque head trip when he's having a, a race against himself the romulans do show up and start shooting at them which again is not probably coincidence right right yeah, I had um, I had that as my big question for this episode too. Was you know, so what happened to Rutherford? Like, what what's like what's the conspiracy? Yeah, is that sort of Section Thirty Two thing at the end there, or some weird experimenty thing? They're trying to sort of explain the cyborg the cyborg implant that he's got mm-hmm. without explaining it. Yeah, and in, and again, it seems like they're headed somewhere. As, as Jaime said, I think it's a good tee up for maybe where we're going to go the rest of the season or or in future episodes. But it's nice to have those little little more than just one offs. I mean, the B plot was hilarious, but you know, uh, and to be fair, you're right, Jaime. It, it did have a little bit of a um, you know what could come out of that. But uh, yeah, that was a little more sort of straightforward stuff. Boimler. Boimler going nuts. I definitely had that for my best uh, pew 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 section. Was I, I was I was torn between Rutherford versus Rutherford in the uh, the space race, but uh, Boimler going nuts and just trashing people's booths was <laughs> hilarious. I, I I think he had the, he had the most bleeps too. Yeah, yeah. he's like, do you, do you think we want to you know protect you from all these things? No, we just went out there and <laughs> study freaking quasars and. Yeah. You know, just normal stuff. We've got to protect you from the Borg and the Klingons and Romulans and everything. Whatever he was, he was ranting so hard. It was hard to get an exact quote out of that. Yeah, I, I grabbed a couple of them. One that made me laugh was the, uh, the doctor didn't spend seven years in the Delta Quadrant, so you could question his agency. Right. And I, I also really liked, I failed the Kobayashi Maru 17 times, mother effers. <laughs> yeah, when he's going through that rant, there's... 
that one guy that says, I think that guy's being controlled by butt bugs, which is a, a nice reference to that uh, contagion. I think it's contagion. Conspiracy. Episode. It's called conspiracy. Conspiracy. Conspiracy yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. They also had the, the, the two characters, that, the one booth where the, you know, you, you make people end up in games all the yeah, time. Yes, you know. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's three really good Easter eggs I spotted. So Conspiracy, they explicitly named that, and that's, of course, the first, the final episode of the first season of TNG, uh, is the Conspiracy episode with the butt bugs. Uh, when Rutherford is, when, when dying younger Rutherford is, is fading out, he tries to transfer his memory of what happened to the older one and he puts his hand to his right. face and says, yeah. remember, which of course, yeah, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Star mm-hmm. Trek two. Um, and then, yeah, the Grand Negus' staff is what got stolen. And of course we've seen that in, in countless episodes of, uh, of DS9, the Grand Negus' gold headed staff. So yeah, some, some good stuff in there this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that the, their shuttle they had they had must have they graffitied the name of the shuttle over top. Of, I can't remember uh, uh, Sequoia, I think, right? But because that I think that was from the previous episode of of Lower Decks. Yeah, but yeah, they've had a few uh, because there's a few that are named after different um, parks or something, right? Or is it trees? I think one of them is called Big Sur or something. I, uh, the other quote that I had written down for uh, for a good quote this week was at the very beginning of the episode when Tendi and Rutherford are talking, and he says, I had a nightmare. And she says, oh, is it the one where you're in the new timeline with Kirk and Spock and they have cinematic chemistry? Yeah. Yeah, they also have the, the Kirk and Spock cut out that you can go and stand <laughs> behind and have a picture taken. That was great. That made me yeah. laugh. Yeah, no, this is, this is a good uh, good episode. Sort of, uh, as you say, a little bit of just fun and silliness in, in the tradition of Lower Decks now. And then also, yeah, some stuff to build on. It's funny when, you know, they identified the whole, you know, uh, the arch- uh, the uh, archaeologists, and of course, we've seen that play out over. You know, TNG did that at one point. Uh, you know, the archaeologists. That's what what um, you know. It seemed like that's what Jean Luc Picard's alternate career could have been. Uh, you know, when you see the the sort of the lifestyle that the archaeologist has in this one, and you think about Mariner, you're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. I I also think one quote from Rutherford to uh, the the female security officer, uh, Inton, when he is, uh, you know, his alternate identity self, he says, Trill, huh? Do those thoughts go all the way down? Which is not only a great line, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but what? I'm pretty sure that is a callback to Dr. Bashir talking to Dax, like really early DS9 when he was still kind of like weird creeper kind of character before they sort of settled on what his personality was going to be. Yep. And then, of course, there is a later episode in uh, uh, Deep Space Nine where we see Jadzia in a bathing suit, and they do indeed seem to go all the way down. Yep. <laughs> that must have taken a lot of time in a makeup chair. Yes. she. Did. I remember her t- saying once in an interview it did take a long time for her to get all that stuff put on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet it did. <clears throat> at which point, Michael Dorn threw a rock at her and said, I've been doing this for seven seasons of TNG, four movies, plus all these episodes of Deep Space Nine. You know nothing. And the next show we're talking about is uh, Star Trek. Uh, is, is it Star Trek Andor no. or just Andor? Well, it would be Star Wars, but no, it's just called Andor. Star Wars. Just called Andor. Okay, so yeah, it's just called Andor. And it, it, it's so interesting. Like the first thing I noticed, well, the first thing we, first question we came to this was why are they doing three episodes um, in the first week? Like, you know, why are they dropping all three? And, you know, I, it, it's really well written. It's really well, the story 
goes really well. But I, I kind of, kind of got the sense that they probably looked at the first two episodes and thought, you know, there's not enough here to to grab the new audience, right? Yeah. I mean, those of us who are coming to it from Star Wars are just going to be, yeah, feed me more Star Wars, right? Including the set designs and all that kind of stuff and the technology and and all that kind of stuff. But I found the first two episodes were not as approachable as I would ex- have expected. I mean, they were very good, don't get me wrong, right? And But it wasn't until the third one where you get the big sort of, where he meets his his future, he meets his Obi-Wan, you yeah. know? Um, and and we go from there. But Because every episode, they were short. I mean, they were like 35 minutes long, each one. And uh, and they they just kind of, they ended at a really interesting cliffhanger kind of point, you know? But I kind of wonder if people would have, if maybe they were thinking, because I was thinking this, that would I come back if I hadn't known the backstory behind the character or the fact that this is Star Wars, in fact, and I was a new user, would I come back next week to catch the next show, right? Um, that was sort of my impression of of, uh, of the of the show. Other than that, I mean, Star Wars stuff, you know, blasters, pew pew. Um, I love the the idiocy of the uh, of the Empire characters. Um, you know, the battalion that comes down to, oh, we, to try yeah. and find... Yeah, those uniforms were spectacularly bad, yeah. too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and just <laughs> the sort of the, 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 the... I mean, this guy, for lack... I don't even know if he, if he had a name, but let's call him Boimler for now, but because um, he, you know, the, the, the guy who was told to leave it alone and just ignore it and just sweep it under the carpet kind of thing, and, and he wouldn't let it go oh, kind of thing. Oh, the deputy and, inspector? And, His name was Karn. Karn, yeah, and then and then the the sergeant at arms dude, like the heavy set Scottish guy, like he was he was great because he was just by the book. He was you know. Sergeant Linus Mosk. Yeah, he was yeah. great. He was great, and then and yeah, just they just. Although he's doing his best, uh, um, Mike Mike Myers doing fat bastard from. Uh, yeah, yeah, he had this, <laughs> this Scottish thing going for baby. sure. Baby. Yeah. yeah, he was, yeah. and and flashing back and forth between the two, you know, the the early years of of uh, Cassio Endor and and where we are yep. in the story uh, as we pick it up, it was kind of interesting. And so, and they used the um, little, little robot B. I can't remember what B's name was. B two M. B two E M O. B two emo. B two emo. But anyway, they call him B, and and you know he's all beat up and and forgetful uh, in the time that the story is being told, but when they flash back, he's shiny and new and yeah. a little bit more together. And it was an interesting way to tra- to give us the impression that we were traveling back in time. Yeah. Right? So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I have, uh, I, this, this one was over our, our, our uh, sort of more truncated format. I decided to take a run at this one. So I wrote, I wrote this down. So this is my uh, suspenseful pitch for elevator pitch for season one, episode one, which was, Five years before the Battle of Yavin, Cassian Andor is looking for his lost sister on an alien world when he's jumped, jumped by and has to kill two Imperial guards. He heads back home where he creates an alibi and sets a plan to sell his valuable MacGuffin so he can get out of Dodge. But an ambitious young deputy inspector on the first world isn't going to let him get away with the crime. So from there, we kind of have our setup, but that's really the only, only the setup for the first three episodes. It's not the setup for the series, right? So it, even if you yeah. even if you watch these first three episodes, you still wouldn't have a sense of of what we expect it's going to be, which is he's going to get indoctrinated into the, the early rumblings of the rebellion as you know the pockets start to congeal and turn into an actual movement and everything else. But 
it's not really mentioned at all in here. And you, you, you'd have to have that knowledge coming in. You'd have to know what, who he becomes in order for you to care about where he's going. So it's, it's, right. it's strange. It's very strange. And again, they do a good job in, uh, you know, uh, good acting, good, you know, the sets are amazing. Like it's a real world. It feels real, but yeah, yeah. the big picture stuff, they were almost too subtle with it around the fringes. Now I realize it's a 12 episode season and that the first run isn't necessarily what it's all about. It, you know, it is going to stand up in the end as 24 episodes of over two seasons, but it really does feel like almost too slow a burn as to why he matters. Well, and this is what I was getting to like the, the, the third episode, you know, the end of the third episode is kind of the, the parallel beginnings between when he's first, you know, adopted and when he's first picked up and, and is going off to join whatever this rebellion is. In fact, it's not even given a name at that point, right? Yeah. He's just going off to help this guy, you know, um, fight against these, this, uh, these oppressors that are, well, he, you know, he has a name in the credits, but he never mentions it in the, in the show. No, I mean, I don't mean, I mean the, that, it, that he's going to join the rebellion, right? Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I'm doing air quotes around rebellion, right? Like yeah. he just sort of says, don't you want to fight them for real? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know, yep. um, rather than just being, just skirting around the issue. Let's just, go kick some butt, you know, yeah. uh, it, which is kind of sort of what happens when, you know, in, in, uh, a new hope when, you know, Luke is given the, the lightsaber by Obi-Wan and it's not until, the, you know, they, they see the, the, uh, Jawa's craft has been attacked, you know, and, and made to look like it was an accident somehow. And then Luke goes and finds his parents that, that, uh, or his adopted parents and finds that they've been dispatched by the stormtroopers that, he now realizes, okay, this is, I, you know, like there's no, I've turned left. I can't go back kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, and that's kind of where, you know, as, as the ship is flying into the sunset in the end of the first episode, he's realized, okay, this is the beginning of another, another change in his life. And it parallels the one that he had when he was discovered on the planet in the first place. right? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I agree that it was a slow burn and I think, they were like you know, going from the what's the best pew 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 that was actually pretty tough in uh, at least one of the episodes because uh, there there isn't a lot of pew 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 uh, for the most part right there's um you know the the fight in the in the factory and stuff but it's really not uh like a gunslinger kind of show it's really so far more about you know how has this guy been running away from his past hiding out in secret you know, he meets Skarsgård and, and they get a little bit more action, but it's still largely, you know, not about running off to, to go do something cool. It's about getting out of a bad situation, right? seems like he's, yeah. he's been hustling and doing stuff. I mean, bad situations. He's looking for his sister and he starts off the very first scene of the first episode going into a, uh, you know, a space kissing club, we'll call it. Uh, for his sister, right? <laughs> like, like it's, it, it, they 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 keep it as uh, as Disney as they can, but it's pretty obvious what happens there. They right? do call it brothel at one point. Yeah, they say it's like yeah. a leisure house or something. Yeah, leisure house. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I I enjoy it. I do come from that as uh, as a fan of Rogue One, and so I was already kind of mm-hmm. predisposed to liking the character, like Diego Luna. Um, I can a hundred percent understand. That like yeah, I, I would have dropped the first three episodes as well, not not knowing what else is coming, just because you know I mean 
for, for heaven's sake, if, if you only had episode two, like the best pew, pew, pew would technically be like the only one I remember happening. And that's the Canary girl getting shot. That's not a great choice for her, for, for rooting as a fan, right? Like that's a, you know, that's a thing that I think um, will be interesting for, you know, taking a step back for all of these Star Wars shows where like um, they're all having their own kind of flavor, which I think is a good thing. I think we'll start seeing, you know, more different stuff and it won't necessarily be uh, exactly like, you know, the original trilogy. People are, are stepping out of their, the boundaries a little bit, uh, kind of like the MCU has been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, so I never look up these names properly. So I, I called that uh, car and I put him as Kyle McLaughlin in my notes because he kind of looks like him a little bit. And uh, I decided to call Bix's boyfriend. So Bix being the uh, the lady who's helping um, Cassian, you know, meet Skarsgård's character. Uh, I called him Roy because he somehow looks and sounds like Roy from the IT crowd and is, you know, philosophically like Roy from The Office. That was Pam's uh, fiance, right? Like he just causes like the entire problem, doesn't he? By his uh, his jealousy. Well, first of all, that was a Scottish accent, not an Irish accent. <laughs> How would you know that? Um, yeah, Tim with two M's, right? <laughs> but yeah, he was he was an interesting character, and 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 you know, unfortunate that you know he did what he did, right? Because it caused a lot of grief for everybody, right, including himself. Yeah, well, yeah. it all worked out. You know, sometimes these things have a way of tying themselves up in a nice bow. Tim ends up, uh, spoilers, spoilers, getting a hole through him. So, you know, right out Cassian yeah. ended up with the, the firing end of a blaster. I was going to say, I was kind of wondering if they were going to grab her and take her with them because she seemed to be pretty resourceful. But um, no, she's just left by as a tragic character, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea is that, you know, he could always come back because she is somebody who is resourceful and might fit well with the rebellion, right? Yeah. And I'm just trying to remember the name of the uh, Fiona Shaw. Yeah, it's, I, I kind of wonder if there's a backstory to them or they're going to come back at some point in the future. She seems to be sort of past her better days, I guess, or best days. Yeah, it seems like um, she's supposed to be sort of in her prime in the flashbacks and perhaps less yeah. so now. But yeah, Fiona Shaw is also, I mean, she's not a nobody actor. Again, she's Harry Potter movies and all kinds yeah, of stuff. Name. Yeah, she's a well-known established yeah. actress. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah, good show. Yeah, I, again, slow burn. I didn't mind it, but then I have the bigger picture and all the background filling in all of my way that I'm watching it. I was, it's funny because Xavier sort of said, should I watch Rogue One again before I watch this? And I said, there is 100% no need to watch that because it doesn't matter. Like, the only character that we see that's carried over from that is Cassian. And yeah. If you remember the most basic facts that he's like a spy and he's, you know, a killer, that's pretty much all you need to know. But isn't Moff, what's the, the name of the the uh, rebel commander that um, the lady character, she's, she shows up in... There's going to be more, oh, for sure. But I'm saying for the, for the yeah, first yeah. three episode premiere, like, no, not at all. Uh, I think you're thinking of Mon, yeah, Mon Mothma? Mon Mothma. Yeah, 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 she's, right, she's right. you know, going to be reappearing. But at this point... You could watch these first three episodes and just be like, oh, it's a good, you know, sci-fi adventure story about a guy who's trying to get out of Dodge after well, a crime gone wrong. Yeah, I mean, like the same, like, like the same, I mean, the whole beginning of, of Rogue One, the reason, I think the reason why we all like Rogue One is because it, it, it 
it's it's very self-contained but it's very much in that universe mm-hmm. right like um you know they don't they don't have the the stormtroopers all lined up in perfect unison with shiny outfits on and and it's got the rough sort of you know outer rim sort of feel to it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. And it's got enough of the Star Wars technology. Like, I was actually reading, I got to go back and watch the first episode, but in the first episode, the one of the computer consoles is actually a TRS-80, <laughs> apparently, on the set, right? So, which kind of it, it ties into the fact that, like, you know, like they're using 70s and 80s technology, the R 70s and 80s technology to make it look, you know, that far behind in terms of, to give you a sense of what the time is, you know? This is early Star Wars as opposed to, well, it's actually, you know, it's really early Star Wars, five years before A New Hope, right? So, yeah, cool. I mean, I'm enjoying, it. again, like, like, like Rogue One, um, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, you know, to be honest, I like, I like Solo from the point of view that it was in the same sort of universe. I mean, the story and whatever and the character, blah, blah, blah. But, mm-hmm. but that, the whole sort of the way everything fit together and, and the technology and the way that the sets looked, you know, it felt very, very Star Wars, right? Yeah. And it, I, I, I like, it struck me right off the first shot where he's walking through the rain and so much of what we've seen in a lot of the primary Star Wars movies, the Skywalker movies, you know, things are a little more pristine, even when they're filthy, they're pristine. The idea that, you know, Cassian's like, yeah, I'm going to get wet, going to get dirty, I'm going to get bruised, you know, it just grounds, it grounds Star Wars in a way that Star Wars is often not grounded. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's got that that Blade Runner 20s. 49 yeah. field to it too, yeah, right? Comp, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a, a couple quotes that I think kind of describe the, the, the kinds of characters we have going on here. So um, one is, I th- might need a factor here, but I think uh, the, the guards, the Kyle McLaughlin and, and, and Scottish guy, like, I don't think they're technically empire. I think they're kind of like security guards or mall cops because the the big captain or or chief or whoever it is that's uh can't be bothered with these you know these other guards that got killed he wants to go off and just like give his report try not to have the big wigs really even notice you i got the impression that they were doing stuff on behalf of the empire uh you know uh, jurisdiction but weren't technically part of the empire uh, staff itself and i think that's why their uniforms are a little bit off right yeah. they're a little bit different um but his quote it just kind of gets to the, to where the vast majority of those folks are at, um, and why why Kyle McLaughlin is uh, is the Boimler, as as Tim put it here. <laughs> this quote here, right, like in reference to those two security guards that got uh, killed by by Cassian, they died being helpful. Something sad, but inspiring in a mundane sort of way. Basically, like don't don't make them freaking heroes. Make it like. You know, news at eleven kind of thing, and then after that they'll they'll forget because oh puppies, you know, like yeah. on the next uh, broadcast. Yeah, but that's that's just what the chief inspector wants, right? He wants it swept under the carpet, but not in a detrimental way, right? No, yeah. and he doesn't want to put like they were they were in a part of the they were in the kissy club, like you said. Um, they weren't supposed to be there. They were on duty, right? So he wants to basically make his you know he doesn't want to get grief for his you know his um, reports, as it were being in a, in a misbehaving right like he wants to keep order and clean and and again he wants to have he doesn't want the inspector darth vader to come by and you know inspector vader because he wouldn't he wouldn't have been darth by then you know what i mean like like he, he doesn't want that the grief that you would get from head office kind of thing right 
Exactly. He, he doesn't do it because he's like, you know, covering up some broader slimy crime. It's much more mundane that he's the middle manager that just wants to live his life without a whole lot of, you know, grief. Yeah, he's close to retirement. Well, too, he, right? also, so he, he makes a point of saying, like, the one guy is one of the worst people he's ever met in his life. He's like, of course he was doing something shady. I've met that guy. He was shady. You know, like, he's he knows that it's yeah, not a big yeah. deal. He's like, yeah, of course this idiot got himself killed. He was an idiot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the opposite quote that I'll give comes from Skarsgård character in, in the factory when he's trying to recruit uh, Cassian Andor, which... Um, is is a bold move of like you know not getting shot in the face when you tell a guy isn't that where they hung your father? And yeah, like oh, wow, like I can't believe you went there. Yeah, with a guy who's got a gun on you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had uh, I had one funny one and one just really well written one. The funny one was when Cassian's talking to uh, to his droid B two EMO B two EMO. Uh, and says, you never saw me. You don't know where I am. And he says, that's two lies. I will have to go home and recharge. <laughs> He's like, doesn't have enough power to keep two lies in his memory bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the one that I really liked was uh, when when um, Cassian meets Lucian, uh, Luthen, who's the, the that's the, the character name, Luthen. Yeah, Luthen Rael. Uh, and he says, you know, he's talking about how he stole that that MacGuffin, that 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 part, whatever it's supposed to do, and you know, uh, Luthen sort of pushes him and says, you know, how'd you do it? And he says, you know, they're so proud of themselves, they don't even care. They're so fat and satisfied, they can't even imagine it that someone like me would ever get right. inside their house, walk their floors, spit in their food, take their gear. I thought that was again beautiful line read by uh, Diego Luna, who's a great actor, mm-hmm. but just really speaks to where we're at. It, it, that sentence really summed up where the empire is out there on the outer stretches of the galaxy that you know they are just convinced they're the bee's knees and there's people like like cassian who are like no you're really not you know that's true well i mean i hate to say it but if you think about 9-11 for example right the reason why 9-11 worked was because the american sorry kind of but the american government and you know, planes and whatever, they had no idea that anybody would do what they did, right? It was really an underground operation that, you know, they kind of took advantage of all of um, even security in Canada because they came in through Canada, right? Um, Just the loose borders, the the lax security and all that kind of stuff. And and these, you know, these guys walked in and and did what they did. I mean, you know, I hate to see that it happened in real life and, and real people lost their lives. But this is kind of what, this is where this the people forming the rebellion are coming from. They're coming from the, the, the oppressed peoples, you know, who are smarter than the oppressors, right? Yeah, I think there's kind of an interesting context here for that one that, that actually works pretty well. I'll, I'll loop it back to Star Wars. But for, for that time period of the USA, usually when terrorists hijacked a plane, it's because they had some, you know, weird political th- gain that they wanted to have and they would usually like fly the plane land it somewhere and then get their yeah take it to russia and whatever yeah, yeah. their gold bouillon or whatever was uh the doubloons whatever they were looking for um so it was not unprecedented in the world to be clear but just unprecedented for like you know the west and so it kind of makes sense that the empire right now um five years before the battle of yevon is kind of in that and like sleepy you know we won the war we're just kind of keeping the administration going um which would make 
the Death Star and its destruction may be kind of like the rough equivalent of like, how does the Empire react now? Does it crack yeah. down Empire Strikes Back era? It's not a, not a bad analogy there. Well, it's interesting, too, that they, they refer to the these planets as mid-rim as well, right? Because wasn't, uh, wasn't a Tatooine on the outer yeah. rim? Yep. Yep. According to Luke, you know, so so this is sort of the you know as you move closer to the to the galactic center of the galaxy, galaxy is it Corsicant? That where's the Empire headquarter? Yeah, Corsicant. Yeah, yeah. But that that's sort of like the you know it's it's such a um, administrative place. It's not even a plant on the ground anymore, right? Um, but yeah, and this is this is sort of the the middle ground between that right sort of thing. Right? Um, not quite, you know, the polished, you know. Um, empire, but not the dusty, you know, Tatooine that that Luke comes from, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or even Bespin or whatever. Well, and I think the idea is that cool. in the obviously the inner rim and even in the mid rim, the Imperials have a strong presence. The further you go, the less they do, and there you get into the the mobsters and all the other stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, Hot yeah. space. Where's the book of book of Boba Fett and all that kind of stuff? Are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. All right, you get to the elevator pitches here, John, so why don't you lead us into the next one? Yeah, so I guess we'll jump into She-Hulk. Uh, so this is season one, episode six. It's called Just Jen. So Now, just before you dive yeah. in, I, like I, we didn't talk about this last week, but last week, uh, I forget what the episode, I, I just watched it the other day, but but this one, they, they came up, instead of saying, it said, instead of saying She-Hulk, you know, attorney at law, it said, she, it said Just Jen. Yeah. In the title, right? And they did the same thing and last then, week, yeah. After and the last week it was um oh it was it was brought to you by Tiani or whatever right she helped brought well, by you, Titania, right? yeah because she helped had her yeah, brain stolen right yeah right yeah yeah well actually, that was kind of a cool touch yeah they i mean they really are taking this sort of um very woke very connected very socially connected kind of vibe that they've gotten through this whole thing like it it does very, feel very uh like you're in on the joke right so the elevator pitch for this one yeah. is uh Jen goes to an awful wedding where she takes the term bottle episode to the next episode by getting hammered. Uh, she meets a nice guy, beats up on one of the guests, and in the meantime, Mallory and Nikki defend a guy named Mr. Immortal against a gaggle of his exes who he left by killing himself. Right. So the wedding plot is basically Jen goes to a wedding. She wants to go as She-Hulk and show that she's made it. She wants to go as herself and show that she's made it. And she gets shut down at every turn, and then of course Titania shows up to ruin her ruin her day and picks a fight, which ends badly for Titania. Well, I mean, and the whole sort of thing, like you know, she shows up as as uh, She Hulk, and and her her the the bride shuts her down, says you can't you can't outshine yeah. me, and you know, and then when Titania shows up, um, you know, Jen's like she's here to to you know to to make my life. To- difficult and they're like it's not all about you jen like go back you know like like as if the whole crowd doesn't see what we all know and and jen sees that this is this is uh you know titania is here to ruin her life not you know not the friend of the the groom or whatever that uh plus one right kind of thing right yeah yeah so and, and kind of and she she's like you said she says it right in the beginning um in the just before the cold open yes this is a boring wedding scene that's completely out of out of the plot line right sort of thing like like what do you call it when this is sort of a is it a bottle episode is that what you mean by that yeah it's a bottle episode in that it's basically all self-contained within one environment in in her case it's all set at the wedding 
it's just in this yeah. case it's set at the wedding it's not part of this it's, it's not really it's part of the arc we find out at the end but it's, it's supposedly not part of the whole story arc for the season right yeah it really is it's sort of self-contained although she does meet josh and josh seems like a nice guy and you know he, he might pop up again yeah, yeah possibly um what did you think of the b plot i mean what did you think of mr immortal I found that one to be um, an, an interesting take on what happens when She-Hulk attorney at law is not there anymore. And we have what kind of ends up being like a like a Birdman attorney at law kind of episode. <laughs> yeah. Where, yeah. It's like this nuts, you know, super powered person who literally, uh, I mean, if he dies, he resurrects. It's a little unclear on his power, like... Uh, where he is literally unkillable or, or dies and comes back and, and is not permanently dead. It doesn't really matter in the details. He has been a, uh, a, a loving scoundrel, it, it seems, of like, you know, uh, Elizabeth Taylor style marrying a bazillion people and just kind of like <laughs> ending his life, you know, faking his death to try to get out of things. And eventually somebody figured out because there's a there's like a, a like a 4chan style site that has that sort of uh, social media and they, they, they saw him and say, Hey, that's my husband that did that. So uh, that one was, was pretty, pretty fun. Cause it's very different from, from having she Hulk around. There was no like punching option. There was no, this person is strictly tied to, uh, to her or her cousin. So it was kind of a, a neat change of pace to see those, those two characters and you know, kind of lawyer it up. Yeah. And it was, it was, uh, I think that part of the episode actually worked, really well. I mean, it's a good combination of actors they had in there, and it, you know, the humor mixed with the action of, you know, Mr. Mr. Immortal throwing himself out the window because he doesn't want to continue a conversation, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, no, I, I think that part of the episode, you know, a B-plot without that main character when they really haven't done a huge lot of lifting to elevate her supporting characters. They've been good supporting characters, but they haven't really had a moment in the spotlight like that, and, and it worked. They worked. Yeah, so that's her cousin, the the other girl that's um, the Nikki Ramos character. No, I meant um, yeah, uh, the Hulk. Oh, Bruce Banner. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was in reference to She Hulk's cousin. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to get, yeah. Yeah. No, is uh, kind of interesting to see, sort of you know, except for the fight with Titania, which you know was going to happen. And by the way, like kudos to Jamila Jamil for being very not herself in this kind of role it's like you know you wouldn't necessarily uh, she, she is nothing like her character in um the good place right or anything else that i've seen her in so so well, kudos for that for being the... really superficial to perhaps to, to to honey from that but again the american accent and she's a lot more sort of um subdued in that way yeah yeah playing the the influencer uh, mm-hmm. archetype right so that, that's interesting um but the, uh, you know, kind of more mundane slice of life stuff of like, okay, you've got an immortal guy and let's not focus on his power so much as a, uh, a, a major plot point. It doesn't really move plot. It just is like the, oh, this is how he's, uh, you know, committed bigamy of some sort, <laughs> right? Like it feels like he's probably violated some law somewhere. And seeing how, you know, our main character in, in Jen Walters deals with being a 30 something who doesn't necessarily have everything all together that society kind of expects of you to have, 
you know, the spouse and the kids and the great job and et cetera. And she's, you know, dealing with somebody who like, it seems she knew in high school, but wasn't necessarily like the closest friends with given how she's treated. And, uh, I thought it was kind of fun that it, uh, you know, it's got this backdrop of like, who the heck is trying to steal her blood? What are they doing? But it's like not really the main point of the episode. So well done on that. And well done on this, uh, this quote from the bride being, um, like hammered or something, uh, when she sees Jen as a She-Hulk again and hugs her and says, huge boobs. Huge Congrats. Boobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I liked the bit when, uh, when, Jen, Titania sucker punches Jen when she's still in her human form and sort of says, no, of course I'm here to mess with you. And Jen is so drunk at this point in her human form that she can't even remember how to turn into She-Hulk. Like, just, just give me a second. Just give me a second. Yeah, again, con- continues to be fun. It's a fun series. I know that it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I, I look forward to it. It's funny. And it's, it's a nice different piece. And I don't know if you guys have felt it too, but it, feels like the the digital animation or digital graphics they're using for She-Hulk Hulk have gotten a little better. Like I didn't find her, she wasn't on screen as much in this episode, but I didn't find her to be too... Sometimes she looks a little under-textured or something, but in this mm-hmm, one she seemed mm-hmm. like it was better. Yeah, I, I don't know what the difference is, um, but I, I did notice that. I do think they're going to have to find a balance as they move forward with this character that, you know, the Hulk looks great. And I think it's because since it's a male character, they're allowed to go very veiny and angular and textured. And they tried to keep Jen like smooth and model like, which Mm. I don't necessarily fault them for, but I think they need to lean a little harder into if you're not going to go bodybuilder woman, at least go fitness uh, woman, right? Where they're like, they're toned. There are, are, are squared off angles there, right? And don't be afraid to... to I, I feel like they, in the early parts, they kept her a little too smooth to try to make her more feminine. And really, you need to make her a little bit more powerful. Like, again, like very feminine, but powerful uh, fitness uh, competition ladies. We'll see what happens when I assume I assume the 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 suit that she refuses to wear has to be the iconic suit for She Hulk, right? Oh, like, yeah. that's where this goes. Oh yeah, like, no capes, all spandex kind of thing. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's where we'll see if they 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 earn their money on the rendering of like that's where you got to show the muscle there. Right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um. So the 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 Easter egg for this one was the one I think. We, we might want to get into a little bit. So we, we talked about, obviously, the big question is still, who is it specifically that's after Jen's blood? But the answer might be in the Easter egg. So the website that, uh, that Mallory and Nikki have to get into to get the scoop on what's going on uh, with S.H.I.E.L.D. So they find out about it because there's videos on there of Mr. Immortal, then they find out that there's this thread on there that is basically threatening She-Hulk, hating She-Hulk, all kinds of hatred and vitriol. Uh, as you said, Jaime, kind of 4chan-esque. The website's called The Intelligentsia, and The Intelligentsia is a, is a major ear perk for, for comic book readers because The, uh, the Intelligentsia is, is a, a group of villains from the, uh, from the Marvel Universe. So whether or not... So it, it, it's highly unlikely that it is the actual group of from the show or from the comic books because 
that wouldn't make sense because of who was okay so one of the key members of it in the comic books is dr doom there's a hundred percent chance they are not going to do dr doom in this there's, there's no world in which they're going to do dr doom have her have dr doom debut in as a bit part in a she hulk show not going to happen but there's also a bunch of other sort of weird characters um modok um the leader egghead claw there are some other you know uh the Red Ghost, like there's some other characters that comic fans would know that are part of the Intelligentsia. So who they decide to make part of the Intelligentsia for the comic book version, if that is sort of the big bad that is sort of nipping at the edges of this story with the, the plot to try and steal Jen's blood. Um, I don't know if it's all going to tie together, but I'll be really curious to see who we might get a debut of. We actually got the debut of the Wrecking Crew a couple episodes back. The Wrecking Crew has been a, a very long-standing group of thugs in the Marvel Universe uh, comic books-wise for 50-plus years. It'll be interesting to see how uh, who they decide to, to bring in as her, her nemeses in this area. That's a, that's a good find. I, I, didn't, I didn't think about that 4chan site as being uh, tied to anything, so that is for sure the Easter egg. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's more there. It's just a question of what and how much and all that. So in Rings of Power, The Great Wave was the name of the episode. Um, I think I can do the elevator pitch. It kind of goes back to the uh, the Queen Region has a dream where um, there's this big tree with white, I guess like a, oh, I forgot the name of the magnolia, I think, that has like white petals and they all start to fall and Next thing she knows is this huge giant wave comes and wipes out their entire their entire island, I guess, right? And um and when she she wakes up in the cold sweat and all that kind of stuff and, and we move through the story. Um and there's a there's also a B plot with uh with Elrond and his friend the dwarf. Um I forget what they're what they're doing, but but the the idea is that this uh wave is actually not just a dream, it's a premonition of what's what's to come. And that's sort of where it, because uh, I see you've got here the best pew pew is the great wave and the best Easter egg is the great yeah, wave. Yeah, well, it is, it is and it is because, so the effect that they use to sort of show the destruction of, of the island is pretty dramatic, but the great wave is also uh, an Easter egg in a few different senses. So one, the great wave is also the dream that Faramir has in, uh, in Lord of the Rings, the, the, he, he also is that. But the Great Wave was also a recurring nightmare that J.R.R. Tolkien had. So he he himself, literally in 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 real life, used to have this dream over and over again, and it haunted that this Great Wave came and sort of subsumed the world. And so he ended up using it in his writing for the story of Faramir. But here we're seeing it obviously as a as you say a premonition of, of the bad things to come for for the people on this era of. Uh, time in his world so yeah it's kind of a, a multi-layered easter egg because it ties into faramir and it ties into tolkien himself and then yeah just i thought it was a really dramatic scene where just you you know you, you think you're supposed to be up on the top of this mountain also you can see this wave just wiping the city off the map it's pretty dramatic in an episode that otherwise didn't really have a lot of action per se i mean there's a mine cave in but we don't really see much of that and yeah this is a little bit more of a talky one uh we saw we get to meet Adar finally, the sort of possibly you know 
we don't know who he is, but he looks like a dark elf. And uh, yeah, I think the, the part that I came back to on this one was the big question. So this show is building us around Sauron. Where is Sauron? This is about the rise of Sauron after the death of Morgoth. So there are three candidates that they're trying to show us. Well, there's two obvious ones and one slightly less obvious one that they're trying to cast as maybe this is Sauron. One is Adar, the, the character, because we hear the reverence, the orcs speak his name, Adar, Adar, Adar. And are we supposed to think that Adar is Sauron himself? The other is the stranger, the mm. person who falls out of the sky. Is that meant to be, uh, is that meant to be Sauron, you know, reborn or in some way? Because we don't know who that is. Is it supposed to be Dumbledore? Is it supposed to be another one of the, of the wizards? Is it supposed to be Sauron? That one's kind of a mystery. But I've seen some stuff online that is pretty convincing that Sauron is, is actually Halbrand. And Halbrand is the one who's with um, the Galadriel? Galadriel on the island. Because mm. he keeps dropping these like monster hits about, like in the one episode before, he said, no one can outmatch me as a smith. Well, we know that Sauron is a smith because he makes the rings of power. And there's also the sort of savagery with which we see him attacking and, and beating up on the, the citizenry there. And then at one point in this, in this episode, he basically says, you know, you need to think about, he's, he's talking to Galadriel when they're in prison, and he sort of says, you know, you need to think about your opponent's weaknesses, only then can you master them. And I was like, oh, we have a red flag here. Like, so. I yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious. Is like you know, it, it, are they tying this all together that Galadriel is going to be responsible for bringing Sauron back to Middle Earth? Ooh, yeah. I mean, like yeah, we, you know what, what they, you know, if you hiding in place, yeah, sight, plain yeah, sight, yeah, pretty yeah. much, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of conspiracy boards out there on that stuff. That would be an interesting one if if Galadriel is the one who basically causes it because. It's kind of like a road to perdition kind of thing, road to hell. It's like it, I, I ended up, you know, causing the thing to happen that I wanted to avoid happening. So had had she just gone to the West and, and taken her claim of like, you know, eternal peace, then everything would have been fine. This guy wouldn't have gotten anywhere and he would have just been, you know, impotently just wandering around Middle Earth doing doing nothing. Uh, so that would sort of fit into that idea so far where this Galadriel is very um, more like a like a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. Where she's just like very, very hell bent on doing things her way, and it is a little self destructive and not quite the 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 regal queen that we'll see later in Lord of the Rings. And granted, mm -hmm. it's like you know they're long lived elves, so you, you think of like Baby Yoda Grogu, like he's fifty, but he's like clearly still like a child given the long life. So mm -hmm. it would it would make sense if they went that way. Uh, I hadn't hadn't considered that, but it, it would be interesting. And the other one that's kind of you know not to go too down the too down the rabbit hole, but if you they keep showing you the map, so when we're shifting from place to place, they show you where you are on the map, which is great, and I think that's fantastic. But where they keep taking you to the Southlands. That's where Mordor is. <laughs> if, you, if you've ever seen one of Tolkien's maps, like, it's plain as day. Like, where they keep going back to the Southlands, where, they, where the orcs are digging the tunnels, and where all the people are trying to evacuate, and all that. That's where Mordor is. So, 
it really is like something's big is brewing there. It's bigger than than just the orcs are digging some tunnels. Like I think what we're seeing is the foundations of Mordor. So again, I, I'm that one was kind of obvious as a as a Tolkien reader, but at the same time, it was also like, oh, this is so awesome as a Tolkien reader. I want to see Mordor get built. Like I want to see this place just turn into this horrible, you know, most evil place on earth before our eyes. I think that's that's I'm excited for that as part of the as a viewer of the show. Yeah, yeah. It, how many episodes is it supposed to be? This this it's supposed to go for six years or something. I heard today, right? Yeah, I haven't seen what the final total was. I think they said um, yeah, something like five years and sixty episodes or something like that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's only. 22 seasons planned, there's like eight episodes this season and then one for next. Well, apparently, I don't know where this came from. I heard it on another podcast this week. Apparently, Bezos basically said, like, this is my last biggest swing on Amazon getting into the TV business. And if this doesn't work, then I give up. Really? I mean, they spent a ton of money and you can see it. I mean, this show, like, due respect to, to, you know, some of the other genre TV shows that we like, uh, you can see the money. Like, man, the the yeah, spectacle yeah. of it is, we've never seen anything like it. I mean, they were spending $10 million an episode on the last season of Game of Thrones. They're spending 25 per on this show. But, I mean, the details, the clothing, the, I mean, the color of acting, but all the sets, all the, the computer-generated stuff, all of it is amazing. Like, just top-notch. Like, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to discern this from... A Peter Jackson movie. You know, right. some of it obviously, you know, they haven't had the spectacle of a Peter Jackson movie. It's not like you're going to get, you know, you know, Battle at Helm's Deep because that just hasn't happened yet. But it makes me excited that when they do get to that point, we might see something incredible for television. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, uh, people online are trying to, because it is, you know, swords and high fantasy kind of stuff, people are trying to compare this to House of the Dragon. Um, and I don't necessarily blame them for that. I do like both shows, but they're very different shows. So this show with Rings of Power strikes me as more um, more biblical, to use an analogy, yeah. that it's kind of like yeah. like watching a Charleston Heston film like The Ten Commandments, where it's kind of a bit of a slower burn. It's a, a bit more uh, fancy hoity-toity, if you want to call it that way. It's not real dirty the same way that like house of the dragon gets real dirty right and i don't think that's problematic it's just this fits in much better with the hobbit and yeah. the lord of the rings which are very biblical in the way that they handle their 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 story so um, you got a, a great quote in here that like it, it, kudos to you because this other than the dwarves isn't really that quotable right it's not as memeable i've seen as uh, as like house of the dragon but that's not a you know, meme quality is not a is not a criteria for, for selecting our media. But I think that's kind of the big difference for me. That like uh, I've been enjoying the show. I enjoyed this episode, um, but I'm kind of looking at it from a, a different angle than I do the the week after week for House of the Dragon. Yeah, and it's it, you're right. It is a very different type of audience too. I mean, the audience that is that is watching the House of the Dragon. It has to be, by its nature, a little bit less broad because it's an adults-only show. Like there is sexuality and nudity and and graphic mm-hmm. violence, and 
it's just a different tenor to the show. So this show, yeah, there's some scarier stuff and there's some, you know, there is a little bit of, you know, uh, you know scary stuff. But yeah, it, it, it's it's just a very different vibe to the show. It's not the same thing at all. So yeah, the, na- the, the nature of, of humanity is going to be, well, they're all, all carrying swords and there's dragons in both worlds, so therefore it's the same thing. Like, no, fantasy can be incredibly diverse and we're really seeing it explored from two different angles. Not to mention the fact that, you know, yeah, sure, there's some politics in, in The Lord of the Rings. We're seeing that, obviously, this week. We saw Galadriel trying to negotiate with the Queen and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's a very different world than what we see in, in House of the Dragon, where, you know, it's so much about family politics. It's about, you know, the realm politics. It's, a, it, it's a, just a different vibe entirely. Uh, sorry, I, just, I looked it up and it says that uh, The Lord of the Rings has got a five-season commitment at eight episodes per season. So 40 episodes minimum is what they're going to do. And mm-hmm. so that also means that we are now uh, at the halfway point of the season. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of the uh, House of the Dragon, mm. um, George R. R. Martin, worst wedding planner ever, <laughs> to quote my friend Tammy. Yes. Big, big shout out to Tammy. That was a great post. We're never gonna. We're never gonna have uh, be able to have a wedding scene in in any of the uh, any of these dragon stories because we just know it's gonna end up horribly, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one we had a couple of couple. Well, this this is the sort of the the Rhaenyra um, gotta find her a man kind of episode. Um, they didn't quite find her a man. Well, they, but, they found her um, Lenor, who prefers not, men. Not that there's anything wrong not with that. Anything exactly. wrong with that? But yeah, uh, Lenor. They basically yeah. they have a really good scene where they basically she lays out. She's like, "I think we're a great match. I think we're gonna you know do great things together. I have no desire to sleep with you. You don't have no desire to sleep with me." No, 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 no. She says, she says. You know, I like to eat duck while most people yeah, like, like to eat you. goose. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, well, you know, goose can be a little greasy. Yes, that's why I don't like it, she says. Yeah. So, so, you know, I suggest that we just go on carrying on. We, we do what we have to do. We, we have our duty and all that kind of stuff. And I'll eat what I want and you eat what you want. Yeah, it was a, a lovely analogy. At that point, I had no idea that, yeah, at, at that point, I had no idea that, that he was that way. But, um, because and it was the marrying of the two um, Targaryen houses that was the important part for the king, anyway, right? So, keeping yeah. the line because uh, you know Valerian, uh, Corlys Valerian is like, so they're going to keep the tradition of the father's name. And he's like, all right, all right. Here's the thing: they will be born as Valerians, but once they ascend, they become Targaryens to keep that line going, right? So it was kind of a yeah, you know, well, a political also- shell game to keep things moving. It is, but it's also, it ties into the larger undercurrent of this whole series, which we know from the conversations between Valeris and Rhaenyra, when they're talking about the fact that he has this sort of a Song of Ice and Fire subplot of there needs to be a Targaryen there to stop the coming of the Long Winter that, take, that kills all of humanity. So he's, right. he's on one hand, yes, obviously it's gamesmanship and everything else. But at the same time, he's also like, there has to be a Targaryen to stop this, right? So for him, losing the Targaryen name is unacceptable because the legacy, this this the vision is that there has to be a Targaryen to start stop it, which is true, because in the end it is. Spoilers, spoilers. I'm going to say a spoiler in five seconds, four, three, two, one. Jon Snow is actually Aegon Targaryen third. So 
I had to do the five second countdown because I got complaints from one of our fans about how I, yeah, uh, we collectively don't give enough time. <laughs> what? <laughs> to which you I responded, the, the, the podcast controls very to close. A, to a don't... show that's like, how many years ago did we find out about John Snow? I know. Well, it's funny because at one point uh, uh, I was talking with our number one fan and he was saying something about, you know, oh, I'm getting spoiled on this stuff. And I was like, that show ended like 12 years ago. I do not feel sorry for you. Like, you, 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 you have to choose things in life. And you just, so you're going to get spoiled if you don't watch things. So sidebar, sidebar. Um, this week and Avatar is coming back to the big screen. I know. I was going to ask you about that in our after show. Well, I mean, the the you know the start Spockcast biggest fan has not seen that in the theater. He's never seen it. Have period. They? Yeah, I mean, from the point of view of 3D effects, I mean, movie. It's a movie. I you know it, it, without the 3D, it's it's a movie. Yeah, right. Uh, not a particularly well written one. No, exactly. And, and, but I mean, the, you know, my, my favorite, like, you know, I kind of thought it was an interesting movie. I I didn't get great seats when I saw it in the theater, but, you know, the scene where the tree is burning, spoilers for those of you who haven't seen this. (laughs) See, you just did that thing. Well, when, when the snowflakes are coming down, that scene, right? And then, and the other scene where, um, they're walking through the, uh, the jungle and the sun's gone down and he's lighting, he's trying to light a torch and she's trying to like put it out and he's trying to light the torch and she's trying to put it out till finally she wins and puts it out. And then he all of a sudden realizes that all of the plants are bioluminescent and um, that's an amazing yeah, I, scene I, I, to see in 3D. I did say when I mentioned it uh, to him this today, I was like, "Hey, are you, this is coming back," and he was like, "Eh." I said, "Do you want to go see it?" He's like, "Eh, we'll see." And I said, "I'll be honest; it is hands down the best use of 3D I've ever seen." That yeah, scene yeah, that you just described, Tim, was the moment where I was like, "Wow, this is a next level." Uh, again, not yeah, not yeah. objectively not the best script. Uh, that the Cameron's ever done, it was a little bit by the numbers. Well, the computer screens are cool too. I mean, but, the computer screens are neat. But his his vision, his ability to conceive new and bigger and better and push the envelope is unparalleled. Uh, James Cameron is an absolute genius when it comes to that. I I kind of wish yeah. that he'd work with a screenwriting partner. I hope that maybe Avatar. You could have asked George Lucas to help him. Work, work I was going to suggest right? George R. R. Martin because he's clearly not writing anything else. <laughs> but George Lucas is so good at dialogue. Yeah. I hate sand. All right. <laughs> Sidebar over. Okay, so the uh, the scene that is the best uh, bit of action, the best pew pew pew, in this case, uh, has to be when we see uh, Princess's guard realizing he's been spurned, realizing that he's, you know, uh, potentially exposed, realizing that he's at his most vulnerable, uh, takes Prince Lenor's, uh, uh paramour boyfriend aside at the middle of the wedding feast and pummels him to a bloody pulp, literally caving his face through the back of his skull. That was spectacularly gory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the question, so... You know, I kind of get why he did that. Like, is he was he protecting the queen or was he protecting himself? I think both. I think because because Joffrey and that was the, the young man's name. Because Joffrey, was he literally, literally Joffrey, yeah. died at a wedding. 
The Red yeah, Wedding? Yeah, wedding. Okay. Um, because Joffrey explicitly comes over to him and says, I, I figured this out. It took me like 10 seconds to figure out that you're in love with the queen because of this, this yeah. nasty look on your face and everything else. I think it pointed out to him that uh, everybody's going to know. I, I'm, I'm, you know, like I have to kill this guy because he's going to tell somebody and I'm just going to be ruined and it's all going to yeah. go, go yeah. south. Yeah. And this is, of course, after he's already confessed this to the queen and is basically, he, he expects to either be gelded and or killed. So I think at this point, he's just like, he figures he's got nothing to lose and, and he's just, he's so angry. He's, he's angry for being spurned by the, by the princess. He's angry at, you know, having to confess to the queen. He's angry at this person for having figured out his feelings. And he just snaps. And in the end, he's about to, uh, to commit suicide in the garden and the queen stops him. And so now the queen potentially has an agent with some very interesting information on her side of the impending civil war that's going to break out between Rhaenyra and uh, Alison. That scene, by the way, and as we're going by best scenes, the scene where Alison shows up late to the wedding feast or the, the pre-wedding feast, engagement feast, in the bright green house high tower dress and just walks in right in the middle of Viserys' speech and goes and sits down was fantastic. And, and of course, the one, the one brother leans over to the other brother and sort of says, do you know what the green means? It means this is the, the color that uh, House Hightower in Old Town lights their high tower when they're going to war. And so we know that basically mm-hmm. Alicent has taken her father's advice from the earlier part of the episode, which is, uh, if you do not protect your children, one day Rhaenyra will have to kill them. And so she's basically chosen, well, fine, if it's going to be a war, I'm going to war. And just, she has this outfit and, and basically makes a scene and embarrasses her husband. And yeah, it was just great. Really, really good acting by Emily Carey. And this, this yeah. is the last week. So this is the sort of turning point in, the, in this first season. So the first five episodes were focused around... Um, Wait, there's no more episodes for a while? No, but it's, it is a turning point because... So Millie Alcock playing Rhaenyra and Emily Carey playing Alicent as the younger versions of themselves. So from ages, you know, 12 to, to 19 or 12 to 18. That's sort of what we've been watching this first five episodes. There's going to be a time jump in this next episode and there'll be two new actors playing those roles. And they were actually oh, they were cast first and those other actresses were cast because they looked similar to them. So right, right. from here on out, we're going to have uh, a 20s versions of Rhaenyra and Alicent played by different actors and a time jump that's about 10 years into the future. So it's, it's going to be a bit of a shock to the system, I think, for a lot of people who have gotten used to these familiar faces and familiar characters. All of a sudden, we're going to see some new faces and we're definitely going to have taken a jump forward. There's going to be some new characters introduced. There's going to be some kids. And yeah, so this is sort of the last, you know, first half of the season is over and this is also a bit, bit of a, a turning point in this too oh i see eve best is coming in as as Rhaenyra's mm. and then what's the other one queen allison is olivia cook i don't recognize her yeah. oh, interesting yeah yeah it's kind of a weird uh switch to have that switch happen mid-season i guess it works out timing wise with the you know where the story is going but it is going to be an unusual one to write out the rest of the season with different actors yeah, and and they should actually be more than this season with those ones carrying forward. Like I, I think they were sort of intended to be the sort of stars of the show in the end. The the two actresses you just mentioned, Tim, but the 
I like that we got the time with them when, when they're younger. I like that we had the time to sort of establish where they were and how they sort of got to where they were as women to see who they were as girls. I think that's going to mean a lot more as we start to know who they are as adults. I, I do think this is really interesting. And I, again, I think we're thinking about it episode to episode, but when you think about it as a totality of the, of the season and then the series, I think it'll seem much more organic. Oh, of course, you know, we're used to more time jumps. We're used to more characters coming and going, you know, it, it'll make more sense. Cool. And this episode, we also, cool. we kind of skipped over the beginning of this episode, which is, uh, we finally get to meet Damon Targaryen's wife for a few minutes because Damon, after being banished to the Vale. Oh, yes. Right. Damon yeah, was yeah, banished yeah, yeah. to the Vale in the last episode because he was uh, trying once again to seduce his niece and uh, try and claim power. His brother, Viserys, sends him back to the Vale where he is married to this woman. And uh, he shows up and essentially kills her. He basically spooks her horse, knocks her off. She falls down and breaks her neck. And he, he realizes she's paralyzed and he's going to walk away, basically letting her die out there on the, in the environment. And then she makes a joke about, she makes a second joke. She makes several jokes about his, his impotency, which we've seen across multiple episodes, right? His inability to, uh, to succeed in the completion of the sex acts. The tax, yes. And yeah. um, when, he, when he starts to walk away, she says, I knew you couldn't finish. And he goes over and picks up a very large rock. And, and apparently he can when he needs to. So, yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting twist, too. So, again, then he scrolls into the, the wedding feast and basically says, Oh, no, poor, poor woe is me. My wife is dead. I am now uh, Lord of the Vale. And also, I'm back because there's no reason for me to be there if I'm not with my, my beloved. Uh, who clearly he didn't even consummate his relationship with. But yeah, it's, um, it basically puts Damon right back in the mix of things at King's Landing, which is good. He's a great character. Matt Smith's a great actor, and it's so much fun to have him around, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, we end with, uh, clearly it looks like, um, I mean, the last thing that happens is the king drops, right? So yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he's, that's it, right? I, I don't think so. I think he's supposed to still survive for a little bit longer. I think he'll be in this week's episode. But I, that, I, that was the impression I think you're supposed to be left with. Because when he drops at the end of the episode, we see Lenor and Rhaenyra get married in a very quiet little ceremony that basically says, like, let's just get this over with before everybody changes their minds. Well, it's going to be seven days of partying and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And, and then this, this fight breaks out, you know, and then they decide to better just you know, let's just get this over with and hurry up and get this done. Before so they even can, mop you know, the floors up to get Joffrey's blood up off the floor. Like, oh, yeah, so gross. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I think then we see Viserys basically at the end of the ceremony. We've seen him in declining health over the whole course of the season. We initially we see him getting stabbed by the throne. We see him having these kinds of problems. A good leeching can fix that. Um, and then this week we see him in pretty bad shape. Like he's clearly struggling with his health. His arm is really messed up. He's clearly struggling. And then in the end of the episode, he basically collapses. And we see the symbolism. Obviously, his his crown falls off his head and rolls across the floor. But, um, yeah, my, my loose, and I have not read Fire and Blood, but um, my loose understanding of the facts of that is that he's not quite gone yet. But I think he's on his way out the door. Because that's what, that's what kicks off the Civil War, right? The Civil War starts when he dies. Because then it's, is it Allison's kids or is it Rhaenyra and her family? Well, and that's that's sort of what you're saying about um, the father. Is that Hightower, the Otto, yeah. former hand of the king? Yeah, Otto Otto Hightower. Yeah, he he's 
Yeah, he points out that you know that that they won't accept a woman as as uh, you know sitting on the throne, and it'll basically lead to war, right? Yep. Which is again another strategic reason why the two Valerian houses get together because they need the navy, right? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and more dragons, right? So even though uh, Corliss is not a dragon rider, he's a he's a, 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 a traitor, a shipment, a, you know, a shipper. shipper yeah. Uh, his wife, Renice, is is a dragon rider. We see her in this episode riding her dragon. Mm-hmm. So it basically brings them back into the fold as, you know, all the dragon riders, all the Targaryens, she is a Targaryen, um, are sort of back under one banner again, which is important. Cool. Cool. All right. And uh, I guess we'll move on to our picks or our watch list. And let's move on to our watch list instead this time. So we'll move on to our watch list. Um, and Jaime's up with a rather important update to FIFA 23. Uh, that's mine. I'll try that again. Oh, sorry. Jonathan's up with a, <laughs> Jonathan's up with a rather important update to FIFA 23. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I have not bought a FIFA game in a number of years. I do like a good FIFA soccer game, but, uh, but I haven't kept up with them, but boy, there's a reason to get this one. Uh, so FIFA 23, they announced this week that uh, that Ted Lasso is going to be in this edition of FIFA 23. And if you want, you can play as Richmond AFC, as the Greyhounds, in in the upcoming game, which is coming out on September 30th. So if you, even if you aren't a, a big soccer buff, and you want the opportunity to play as Jamie Tart or Danny Rojas Rojas, uh, so Sam Abasanya, Roy Kent, uh, you know, you can, you can dress your lineup and you can get out there. And of course on the sidelines, there'd be good old mustachioed, uh, Jason Sudeikis as, as Ted Lasso. So yeah, I, this looks super fun and super funny. I think this is, I like it when video games have a little fun with themselves and, and, and do stuff like this. So I, yeah. I think this is great. So I, I, d- but isn't Roy Kent a coach now, Will? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be... Um, it, it says in this copy, this is from an article on Entertainment Weekly, it says that uh, the manager will be accompanied by his in-game right-hand man, Coach Beard, as well as a collection of the team's star players, including Jamie Tart, Danny Rojas, Sam Obasanya, Roy Kent, and Isaac McAdoo. So Isaac's the new captain. Um, so I don't know if it's like a best of the Greyhounds or how they're putting it together, but uh, I mean, if you couldn't play as Roy Kent, why would you even? He's here. Right. He's there. Yeah. He's everywhere. Yeah. I wonder if they'll have like the um, chance. Oh, please, 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 please. No, the bleeps, the bleeps. Yeah, the bleeps. yeah. But yeah, again, just uh, just fun. Again, I like it. I like it when these games kind of have some fun with themselves, and yeah, the idea of uh, having it in there is really funny. Hmm. Cool. All right, and Jaime, what do you got for us? Mine is uh, Quantum Leap just started new series uh, this week. Uh, the premise right here, right from IMDb, is set thirty years after Doctor Sam Beckett stepped onto the Quantum Leap accelerator and vanished. A new team follows that must restart the project, hoping to understand the mysteries behind the machine and its creator. So, not a not a reboot, uh, but technically a continuation. Uh, the the TNG version, perhaps, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I just trying to look up here when it, where it's playing in Canada. If is it playing in Canada, Jonathan? I have not seen anything. I was actually wondering that because I I didn't even realize that it started. I knew that oh, was coming, see. but um, oh, it's a. I thought it was a woman actually. No, the, the Apple the lead is an as an Apple TV? Uh, Asian American, which I think is again a nice nice bit of change up there too, right? 
It looks like Apple TV Plus here, but it says not available to watch yet. So when when is it? Has it already started for you, Jaime? It just started this week. Oh, maybe it's maybe it's on Apple. Well, it says Apple TV Plus here as part of the justwatch.com. We'll get it delayed. Is that what you're saying? Um, no, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, when I switched to Canada and on justwatch.com, it says not available for streaming. Where where is this? On NBC. Wait a minute. It says season one, episode one, July thirteenth, eighteen nineteen eighty five. Um, what? That's that's the title of the episode. That's when it takes place. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right now, I'm looking it up on Apple TV, and it says it's just a buy. You can buy the first episode, or you can buy the season pass. That's what I'm seeing. Oh, hang on. It says watch Quantum Leap 2022 on C- City TV. City TV. Okay, all right. It says right at the bottom in very small go. letters. So City TV in Canada. Okay. So you should be able to get that through your Rogers Ignite or Bell uh, vibe and any of those kind of things. Cool. All right. Yeah. So Raymond Lee is apparently an actor from Kevin and F himself. I've not seen that show, so I'll yeah. take their word for it. Uh, you've he got plays the, uh, the the love interest. You've got um, Mason Alexander Park, who played Desire on um, uh, uh, The Sandman. And Rounding things out of people you will definitely recognize is Ernie Hudson is from uh, from Ghostbusters. He was Winston Zedmore. So he's here as like the 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 I, don't know, I can't remember. He's like a military guy. He's like a military guy trying to hold it together on this crazy project that they're doing. Again, they're reviving the Quantum Leap project that from their time. Uh, so they're in 2022 and Quantum Leap happened in like 94, 95. So cool. It's been like 30 years since. So. Uh, and he's actually so far set up. Sorry, it's 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 actually supposed to be tied into the original series, right? It's not a reboot. It's it's actually a revival, right? It is. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, a continuation. Again, it's kind of like a TNG where they they do mention and show uh, like a like a picture of Doctor Sam Beck, and they say, "Hey, this dude never came back." Um, and it's hard to talk more without giving uh, spoilers. The first episode kind of sets up the premise of like you know this guy leaps around. Uh, You've got memory problems. In this case, he he has memory problems. He literally can't remember who he is. They've got the uh, the Al type character. It turns out to be uh, his uh, ah gosh, was it? I think it was his fiance or or some his love interest. Right, access is his Al coming in from the uh, mm. uh, the hologram you know across time. And they've got the the Ziggy computer that's still active or reactivated to do stuff here. So does it still um, make the funny noises? They they really don't use much of Ziggy this episode. It was more like Ziggy had been shut down. They're putting some new code and they're going to roll forward with it. There is an actress listed as uh, as the voice of Ziggy, I think, Ooh. Deborah Pratt, which is uh, I'm not sure how that's going to work. Hmm. So, so we'll see. I've only seen the first episode. It's got a lot to do to like you know not just continue where they left off for you know folks like us who've seen you know the show back in the nineties. 80s um but you know trying to set it up for like normal people this is a, a nbc peacock streaming show so it shows up like during whatever part of the night where other you know uh cop procedural police procedurals and medical dramas and all that lawyer dramas happen right so it, it's got to do a little bit of groundwork i'll give it like a couple more episodes before i truly feel like you know does this this is warrant the mantle or is this one of those weirdo ones like uh, like Walker Texas Ranger or um, man they've rebooted everything uh, 
MacGyver. You know what they should do? Airwolf. There you go. Thank you, execs. <laughs> Redo Airwolf. We haven't seen some hot helicopter action in a long time. We're going to be picking up stuff from the 80s <laughs> to redo. Yeah, cool. I, they really are running out of properties. It feels like it. Speaking of uh, a new property, have you guys, have we talked about any, or Kevin can F himself? You've mentioned it, but I've not seen it. Yeah, so it's into season two right now, it's, and it's uh, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, it's interesting because the very first time I watched first first episode comes on like a sitcom, right? Whenever um, Eric Peterson, who plays the husband Kevin, is on the screen, it's literally the house from uh, All in the Family. Like it's almost it's a d- identical house. Must be a style of house in in uh, New England, New York kind of place, right? Um, and so when Annie uh, Annie uh, Murphy plays Allison in the show, when she's in interacting with um, um, her husband Kevin, the lighting on the set is all bright sitcom lighting, right? The minute she separates from Kevin McRoberts, um, it turns sort of just regular lighting dark and, and it's so it's more about like you're you're experiencing stuff from her point of view. So it it flips back and forth between being a sitcom and being a drama just by who's on the screen at the time, right? Kind of thing, right? Um and so it's it's an interesting story. Like she's she's decided she wants to she wants to leave her husband, right? Because um, you know he's she's not living the life that she thinks she should be living, kind of thing, right? And and uh, so the first season she's trying to figure out how to kill him, right? Um, and then and then the second season she's trying to figure out how to you know change her identity and move away, kind of thing, right? But and she ha- and one of the characters on the show um, that's in the sitcom half of it ends up helping her in in the the sort of real the real, the IRL version of the show right so it's very it's very strange um kind of flip, flipping back and forth between you know those kind of two uh, par- paradigms for TV shows right and um yeah it's it's kind of it's, you're kind of like in her head and not in her head kind of thing it's really really kind of weird anyway my picks uh, are sort of follow-ups on the Toronto Film Festival Toronto International Film Festival TIFF as we like to call it up here um, I saw Goodnight Oppie, which is the one movie that I managed to get a ticket from like weeks ago when, when they all went on sale. And it's about Spirit and Opportunity, which are the Mars rovers that, you know, went up to Mars. And they went up for a 90-day mission. Um, and uh, they, the Opportunity ended up um, lasting almost 15 years, right? Um, so it, it's kind of interesting because it, it's really, really well told. and And... Industrial Light and Magic got a hold of all of the the images that the two uh, rovers took on Mars, and they made this amazing landscape, you know, so in big widescreen kind of format. And they had CGIs for the two two uh, robots, but um, just an amazing story. And and it goes through like they they documented a lot of the actual creation of it, and and um, you know, there's all the sort of, it's a lot of suspense scenes in it, and they really pull at your heartstrings in some parts, but it's all about, you know, this team of people who, who built this, these rovers to go to the, to Mars. You know, like the, the one uh, main character, main guy in it, who, I've forgotten his name, but he's, he was actually a geologist who determined that, you know, there wasn't much more work he could do on Earth, so he, you know, looked to the stars kind of thing, and figured Mars would be the next place to go up and explore. And so he was behind the whole creation of these two uh, robots and that kind of stuff and rovers. And 
the the one interesting part of the the thing is like it, they build you up to the point where you put these things on a rocket and they take off and and away they go right and then you'll never you're never going to see them again kind of thing looks like you know saying goodbye to your kids kind of thing and um it's interesting because the the entry into mars they had all this it's all automated right and so there's six minutes where they have no idea between you know when the the two rockets which launched it six months apart but they arrived at mars two weeks from, uh, away from each other but you know as they're landing there's all these sort of things that can go wrong and uh like you know there's you know separating from the heat shield and you know spitting out a, a parachute to stop it and uh, slow it down and then there's a rocket that has to fire to stop the the downward momentum and then they, there's a, the rover itself is hanging on a on a uh, a tether they cut the tether there's like inflatable balloons around the thing and it bounces as it as it hits the planet right so there's like all this stuff that can go wrong so there's six minutes of you have no idea what is possibly happening with these two uh two things and they're waiting for signals and there's, and there's a couple of you know tent scenes in 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 the sort of um telling of the story kind of thing but so it's really really enjoyable um movie from not just from like a documentary point of view but also from the point of view of they really make you sort of live through the the uh the experience of the people who were at nasa at the time in fact because it lasted 15 years there's actually a shift change in terms of the people who are you know working there like some one of the girls who uh, became a scientist and joined the team later was a 16 year old uh, student intern when the, they landed and then she became part of the program as an as a, an adult kind of thing right and there's other people that were like eight years old when the thing landed or took off from Earth, and you know they can remember watching the stuff on in high in school when when they were watching broadcasts, and then you know showing up and and uh, working at NASA later on and having kids and all that kind of stuff. And the one consistent thing is that the the lead uh, geologist um, stayed on the project from right from the very beginning, and it's it's sort of told in flashback, it's told in documentary style, but. Uh, really enjoyable movie. Definitely recommend. Uh, it, um, it was amazing on the big screen, you know, but uh, even on, I think even on a small screen, it'll be a interesting show to watch. And the other surprise was that after I finished watching that one, I knew that the TTC here was uh, having a free screening of um, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. And I can't remember if they announced the name of the movie beforehand, but so I just man- I just walked from one theater to the other, um, got to the Roy Thompson Hall, which is which is a concert hall. It's not really a movie theater, but um, got there and uh, said to the guy at the door, like, is there a lineup for this show? And he's like, nope, go on in. So I just walked in and found myself a nice seat. I had to sit like four rows back from the front, which was not a great, great viewing thing, but um, if you've seen Knives Out, this is Glass Onion. It's a, it's a second second installment of the Knives Out mystery. Uh, the one consistent character is is um, Daniel Craig, who plays uh, the bumbling detective, or somewhat bumbling detective. Um, but it is... I, 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 we, we promised not to give any spoilers out when we saw the movie, but uh, um, it was hilarious. I mean, like, there there are some really, really funny scenes in this in this uh in this story. Like the I don't know if you saw did you guys see Knives Out when it was on oh, Netflix yeah. before? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's super funny. Like there are some I and you know, like some definite laugh out loud kind of scenes in this thing and, and just you know, yeah, I'm not I'm not even I'm not gonna even spoil it. Just watch it. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. It's too bad you're not going to see it on the big screen because it did it did really did really well, you know, in uh, projected up on the, the big screen. But unfortunately, most people are going to see this on their television, right? Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I, 
can't even tell you about the glass onion. So uh, well, what? just well, no spoilers. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely, definitely funny thing. Yeah, and uh, Edward Norton plays the uh, the you know a billionaire, and and uh, there's a whole the, the cast of of uh, Hangers On, like the sort of you know how the, these these uh, tropes go. It's sort of the Agatha Christie style, right? Death on the Nile, Murder on the Orient Express kind of story. And there's a whole you know uh, each character has a story that they build up over time, and and uh, you kind of and each one it's kind of like they even they even make references to the game Clue, right? And the and the movie Clue. You know, I think the movie the movie Clue had eight endings or something like that, yeah. right? Right. It was four or mm-hmm. five, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's uh, and and they make reference to the like they're they're using the sort of comparison between how you figure out who the murderer was in the game of Clue, and yeah, at one point there's a a checklist, and everybody on the checklist gets a check next to every one of their names, and you know, so yeah, it's it's a interesting interesting story. So Jeff, definitely check that out when it comes out. You will enjoy it. Yeah, if only we didn't have to so wait. Guess in, for if only week? we didn't have to wait until December. It's not coming out until the third week of December. Yeah. Really? Wow, it's yeah, a long wait. I gotta keep. I gotta keep my mouth shut. Yes, for that indeed. Long. It'll be, you know what? By that time, uh, we'll have forgotten most of the plot points. So it'll be great to watch it again. See, <laughs> <laughs> wise man who knows his limitations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, all right, well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, people in touch with you, where would they you find you? You can always get me on Instagram and Twitter as at JPK News. And hi, if people want to get in touch with you, where will they find you? I'm on Twitter as at DevTheHair. Well, as I say all the time, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the SpotCast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, SpotCast.com slash SponsorUs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. out this last week which i i don't know how it came out so under the radar and i don't know where to find it as i looked it's not playing here is the new fletch movie with john ham taking over the role of fletch called confess fletch it's it must be playing in i don't know if it's in select cities or if it's just the united states right now because there's reviews up and it's on rotten tomatoes and everything else but, but i looked it's not playing in any theaters here so I don't know hmm. what's going on with it, but I'm a huge, I, those Gregory McDonald original books are fantastic. I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. those. And apparently this is quite faithful, a little more faithful to the Fletch character from the books. I'm excited to see this, but I don't know where. Did we, did we talk about uh, that coming out? I don't know if we did, because it's kind of a little outside of our area. It is, it's like a, it's a murder mystery kind of story, right? Doesn't stop me from talking about it. Well, you know. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see 
um, what happened with that? Like, is it going to come out here later? I haven't been able to find any details this week. It says rent on Apple TV. Yeah. Twenty four ninety nine. Yeah, great. So I'm going to pay 25 bucks to watch it here uh, at home. I, again, I was hoping to see it in the theater, but. Oh, it does say Cineplex here. Cineplex HD. So it must, it's, it must be coming out somewhere on the screen. The screen of largeness. Yeah. Who knows? No, it says rent. Rent or buy from Cineplex. So don't know if it is coming to theater. Theaters. Huh. But by speaking of theaters, I did look up um, Cineplex. There are good seats at uh, 9.30 on Friday at uh, Winston Churchill, IMAX 3D. I will uh, consult with my people and Avatar. let you know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it again. Tell I, me I, I, must admit, I don't think I've seen it. I do have the, the 3D Blu-ray <laughs> of it. And I, until my 3D Blu-ray TV kind of went kaput, I had watched it here, and it's it's decent in 3, 3D Blu-ray at home, but it's not nearly the experience. Yeah. I don't think I've rewatched mm-hmm. that movie mm-hmm. in seven years. Like, uh, I probably I think I've seen it like three times, yeah. maybe like once in the theater, and then I, I'm not. I don't know if I sat down and watched it when it was on, but I, I think I did watch it. Um, I watched it was on a few weeks ago, actually, like a month ago or something like that. So I did I do remember watching it there. Yeah, I think I've seen it three times. I think I watched it in the theater with you, and then I th- did we go together? Because I, so. I remember sitting at the, the in the very edge of it and watching. Or maybe I watched it. Maybe I went back and watched it a second time. Yeah, with you. but yeah, I, re- I remember watching it once in the theater, and then I watched it once 3D and once not 3D at home, just to sort of see. But yeah, I have it again. Incredibly visual, beautiful movie. Really not a great. Bought. Like it's just it's just not a great movie. I I, I know that's yeah the Giovanni Ribisi character. Oh, just there and the MacGuffins and just you know like I mean South Park yeah. skewered it that year with the the dances with Smurfs stuff. Oh, I mean if you yeah. haven't seen Dances with Smurfs, please go go have a look at that. You can get it on Crave. It's so unbelievably funny. Um, well, the the one thing the one thing that that technology people like myself and Jaime will will pick at this movie about is the fact that the the font is um, papyrus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if they keep the original, one, yeah. Oh, I should take that back. I I just took a quick look as I as I said it. I thought, oh, maybe I'm wrong. This park is not on Crave anymore. It was on Crave before, but I, I think it moved over. I think now it's just a Paramount Plus. Hmm. Now, what can I see when I saw this? Hmm. Yeah, I know I've seen Avatar more than once, but I've only ever seen it once in the th- in the uh, 3D theater. Yeah, we should we should definitely make an effort to go see it. Yeah. Well, even if he, the boy doesn't want to go, you and I got to close. Mm-hmm. Maybe Julia will come with us. Who knows? But, yeah, she will. Why wouldn't she? Uh, I mean, we have a we have a fourth person that can go to movies with us now. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's, Not bad. Four out of she's six. been surprising. It, we've uh, so Jaime. I don't know if we talked about this, but my um, one of my cousins has has moved in with us. We were we're uh, she wants to become a Canadian citizen. She was born in Germany and is up here doing her studies. So, uh, on mm-hmm. half, on, and in addition to my 19 year old and 17 year old sons, I now have a 17 year old, uh, ward as it were, I am her, her legal guardian. So, um, but she's great. She's a lot of fun. She's a really smart kid. She's really great. Got a great head on her shoulders, but, um, we've been watching stuff with her once we sort of got over the COVID isolation and stuff that we were in, we, we kind of have been sort of getting a sense of, you know, what she does and doesn't like. So we, you know, she said, you really like romantic comedies. And we're like, okay. So we, we watched some of those. We showed her stuff she'd never seen before. We watched The Wedding Singer. We watched Groundhog Day and just, you know, some classic stuff. And she enjoyed that. And the other day she said, you know, 
feel like I can, I really like to watch like an action movie. Do you know any good action movies? I, well, I've been trying to convince Xavier to watch uh, Batman Begins because he's never seen it in Nolan Batman. And mm-hmm. so she's like, oh, that sounds great. Let's watch that. So we watched it. And afterwards, I wasn't sure if she was going to be into it or not. And afterwards, she's like, oh, awesome. I was like, okay, great. You're in. So we'll see. See if, how, how far down the rabbit hole she's going to go with us and our, our crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, she seemed to really like that. And I said, oh, she like that one. The second one's way better than this one. She's like, we're going to have to watch that. I was like, yeah, we are. So we'll see. We'll see if she can be into watching the blue cat. Interesting to see how this goes. Cause you know, we, we had talked about the, the dances with wolves comparison, but if you weren't old enough to see avatar, you weren't old enough to see dances with wolves, most likely. So or the I wonder how that, yeah. Or the Smurfs version. So I wonder how that, uh, colors things like coming into it fresher and newer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder the same thing. I, it's, it, I, I don't know. Again, it is one of the highest grossing movies of all time. So clearly it must have done something right. Avatar. The movie. Yeah. Oh, really? It's, it's like mm. top three all time. It's up there with Endgame and Titanic. It's one of the top three movies of all time in gross office, gross box office. Like it was $2 billion that made the box office. Insane. This is worldwide. It did really well across the world. Is it because it's probably because of the Titanic, right? I think so. And I think he had a lot of goodwill, but also because, you know, Yes, ostensibly the lead character is a Caucasian male, but he's also a blue cat. So I think it translates well to other cultures because it's not really centered around a bunch of Caucasian characters. I think it translates well. So I think that be maybe that helped on the international front. But I'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see if, you know, like the Disney slash Fox slash James Cameron world has gone really hard after more, more Avatar. Like there, there's Avatar theme park. There's they're making like four more movies. Like they're really committed to this. Like, what if it's not good? What if it's what if it's yeah. you know nothing special? It's just like I don't know. I I just can't imagine. Like I didn't come away from Avatar in the first place going like, oh my god, I can't wait to see more of this world. I was like, that was really cool. No, but yeah. I walked yeah. away and I didn't think about it anymore. You know, and I, and I'm, you know, it's not like I went and saw it 12 times in the theater or anything like that. I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's more there than I'm not giving it credit for, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as excited as, as some or most, but to me, it's like, oh, Gravitar 2 is coming out. I'm like, oh, finally? Like, it's not like, hooray, I can't wait. It'll be, it'll be weird to see what ends up happening here. So, um, Best of luck to him. You got a, got a whole plan for a whole you know legacy of this, and uh, if it doesn't work well in in that first sequel, the uh, gonna be backpedaling real hard on the rest. Yeah, well, and again, this is how James Cameron, one of the most visionary filmmakers of the last thirty years, has spent ten years of his life working on making a pile of these movies. Again, I don't think he's going to make bad movies because that's not what James Cameron does. But it also presumes that it's going to be a hit. You know, we've seen how badly plans like that can go. Like, you know, I think the ultimate warning one is is that, you know, you mentioned earlier, Tim, is the solo Star Wars story. You know, Lucasfilm and Disney were going to make a new Star Wars story in the theaters every year. And we're hoping it was going to make them a billion bucks a year. The movie tanked and they pulled the plug on all mm-hmm. of it and completely changed gears. To the point where, and I don't know if you guys saw anything about this, but they they pulled uh, the Rogue One movie, a uh, Rogue Squadron movie, off of their release calendar. There are no Star Wars movies planned for release on any timetable from 
Disney anymore. That's how bad Solo changed their business model. That's how big, how seismic it was that that movie did not do well. So what happens if they spend, right. you know, $2 billion making four new Avatar movies and the first one stinks? Asking for a friend. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Again, I, I, on one hand, it's kind of a weird one. Like when they made uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune that came out last year, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they almost went the opposite way. They put that movie out and basically said, this is all we're doing. We do not have guaranteed plans to do a second part. Which is nonsensical because the movie doesn't really end. It just kind of stops halfway through a book. And you're like, so you're not going to do a sequel? Like, was that the plan? Was if this didn't, wasn't a hit, you were just going to not do more? Because this story is incomplete. But it was a hit and people loved it and they're going to do a second one. So that's too far the other way. But the idea of planning, I mean, obviously Marvel's got huge long plans and long tales of what things they want to do. But yeah, just the idea of, of basically concurrently filming like multiple movies over the course of a decade and planning to release them all and getting them all going and everything else. Yeah. Like what if it, what if it's not well received, you know, people's tastes change, the world changes. Like, you know, what if there's another pandemic spike? Like, yeah, I don't know. It just, I perhaps, perhaps I've just become a pessimist in my late forties, but I just, I'm worried about it, but you know, I'm sure that there's an audience for that stuff because if there's an audience the first time, but that audience is also now like 10 years older. If it was appealing to kids, if it was being, you know, who it was appealing to, I don't know. Alrighty, folks, we'll see you next Uh, time. So, yeah, let me know what the uh, dragon thing or not the dragon thing, the avatar thing, flying avatar cloud thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Will do. Right. I may. Good luck to your mariners. Thank you. It's, how's, how's the, how are the Jays and the Mariners doing? Uh, they're both Jays are like very, very likely like they're going to make the playoffs and oh, melee really? each other. Mm. Let's see. Mm. So the Blue Jays are up a game and a half in the wild card of the of the bottom three folks, right? The the three wild card folks. Mm. So they're up a game and a half. The Rays are up a half game, and the Mariners, uh, who are sitting at zero, there are four ahead of the Orioles. So it's it's look so three will make it in yeah. if the season ended today. Yes. Okay. When does the season uh, end? A week from Sunday. Okay. So uh, right now the so ESPN does a basically a statistical probability of will your team make the playoffs? The the uh, Blue Jays right now are listed at ninety nine point nine percent to make the playoffs. They would have to have a pretty catastrophic last week to to not. The guys at work were talking about buying tickets, but I have no idea. What yeah, they means. go on sale on Tuesday. The playoff ticket. Yeah. Oh, do they? Okay. Right. I've never been to a Blue like, playoff game. Do they go to season ticket holders first? I've huh? literally never been to a Blue Jays playoff game. Yeah. Well, I've only ever been to one Leaf playoff game. The one against the um, Sun. Oh, that was a good game, though. Yeah, yeah. that was a good game. Loud. It was very loud. Uh, loud yeah. game. All right. Okay. Talk to you next week, guys. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.